listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you to subscribe to The Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts and find us on social media. That means like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and check out our YouTube page. This episode is a casual philosophical conversation about many things, including ties as an evil sadistic fashion accessory, the values of fresh citrus in a cocktail, the simple pleasure of experiencing things the way they are, whether or not animals have compassion, Satch's idea of preserving proximal life, and Star Trek. Enjoy! Good evening, Satch. Good evening, Carlos. You know, you look dapper. I just want to point out that the camera's not going to see this, Hmm. but your socks match your shirt. Well, we could make that happen. We could, if somebody's flexible enough. Yeah, look at that. See? See those polka dots? There's, 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 there's a matching thing going there on here. Yeah. You know, um, I'm just going to say that, <clears throat> you know, as they say, that sometimes the carpet matches the drapes. Well, mm-hmm. my underwear matches yeah. my socks. Really? Wow. It does, yeah. Okay. I, I have this weird uh, personal share here. <clears throat> I have a tendency to match my underwear with my socks. Okay. So this is something yeah. that you do. It is something I do. Now, we decided that it's for like this... It's an OCD thing. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. So it's like it's... I just it, tend to do it. Yeah. So what happens if you don't match them? Um, I always feel like they are. I just have to do some kind of a variant. Like, like let's say... Let's get into the detail here. Mm-hmm. If... <laughs> If it doesn't match the socks, it'll match the shirt. Or or uh-huh. if I can't find that, I'll do some kind of like a powerful contrast color or something like okay. to kind of like a flashing color or or a, uh-huh. a, a complementary color. Okay. Um, <clears throat> why we're talking about that, I have no idea. Okay. But I think because we mentioned the socks, we're but yeah, I just have yeah, a tendency yeah. to. It's like my my brain wants to organize that way. That's interesting. Um, so I pick so, things that match. If you ever show up with um, like sandals and no socks, does that mean you're not wearing underwear? There is a possibility that that you could be free balling it. Case. Yeah, yeah it could okay. Be. Yeah. All right, yeah. very good. Because I mean, okay. you think about it. When I go to the beach, I'm wearing um, a bathing suit, and you're not wearing underwear when you're wearing a bathing suit. Mm-hmm. And that's when I would wear my flip flops. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it's like a built-in thing that you do. It kind of uh, is. Yeah. yeah. You know, you have always, uh, at least in my opinion. You've always had a little bit of a flair for um, dressing well. Mm. You have a tendency to make choices, you know, of things going together and th- you're thinking about that. Um, is yeah, that because true. you grew up with a bunch of sisters? Um, okay, that's part of it. Okay. You know, uh, I was the youngest of six and um, I think my older sisters had a tendency to, you know, dote, which mm. was, was was nice because I'm a very affectionate kid. I'm still a very affectionate person. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still a kid. I'm still a kid inside. Um, and I, you know, I love my sisters very much. And so I always wanted to be hanging out with them and cuddling with them and talking with them. And they would teach me songs and okay. we would do dress up and all that kind of stuff as yeah, kids. Sure. I, I was Naturally. like a, I was probably like a, um, <laughs> a, a glorified dolly in mm-hmm. a way because, okay. um, yeah. although they were, they were quite a bit older than I am, but mm-hmm. it was, it was fun. Uh, so I think that, that might be part of it. The other thing is that, uh, uh, my father was very into, Grooming and his appearance, 
Okay. He always was, even even okay. as an older in his eighties, he was still very much all about taking his time to shave, and mm. you know he was very very into that okay. um, personal appearance kind of thing. Yeah. And then the other element of that was um, James Bond. Oh, you know he was dapper, he was debonair, he was. you know, and 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 characters like that, like. Uh, Mr. West from from the Wild Wild West, you know, okay. all of them. There's there's a certain style, right? Yeah. Um, I think that was one of the several archetypes that I mm-hmm. gravitated towards okay. as a kid. That you know, kind of quote unquote heroes. Mm. So these characters had a quality of dressing well. Yeah. And even though I I might not necessarily be the most GQ dressing well person that that I know or that you know, mm. but it is an is an element of who I am. I, yeah. I tend to like to wear a nice shirt and nice shoes. And, sure. You know, if, if I if my lifestyle were maybe a, just a tiny bit different, I probably would wear a nice, you know, suit, no tie. No tie. That's where my pet peeve, that's where I draw the line. Yeah. I have a pet peeve. Yeah, I do around too. Around ties. Ties feel like slavery to I me. can't stand ties. Yeah. And uh, one of the reasons I hate ties is because... Um, of what they symbolize. Mm-hmm. And if people don't know the story of ties, um, I'm going to tell the history of ties. Yeah, this is a good one. So once upon a time in the days of old, uh, the wealthy aristocracy would get together and have these fancy dinners. And it was customary to bring your own napkin because they didn't have like disposable paper napkins like we do today. So you brought a napkin to wipe your mouth. Well, people started bringing nicer and nicer napkins. It was a sign of status. And then people started showing up to dinner with the napkin already on their body. Yeah, like a bib. Yeah, like a bib. And then it got to the point where the napkin was so nice that they would bring a secondary napkin to actually wipe their mouth with, and that was the beginning of a tie. Now you look at it today, and it is something that is the last thing on your body that you want to get food on. Yet it started off as a glorified napkin. Yes. And I don't, I don't remember what comedian said this, but it, uh, it, there was something to the effect of like wearing a tie was like having a really weak or anemic person, like a little little midget trying to choke you all day long, but uh-huh. not having quite enough strength to do it. Yeah. You know, it's like this, I envision this sort of annoying, you know, person trying to choke you all day, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but, but doesn't have enough strength to actually accomplish it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, t- that's... Ties. I just. It's a bit like a I, noose as well. It is. It's a noose. It's literally a, a slip knot. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's actually tie a rope around our neck and mm-hmm. then go to work. You know. I just. It just bothers me. Just fundamentally, I feel like a sucker. Like like the yeah. invisible man's got me on a leash. You know. It feels the same way for me. I mean, why on earth would you have something slightly, you know, cutting off your jugular all yeah. day? Right. Why? It's, it's a, why would you want pressure on that part of your neck all day long? Yeah. yeah. It just seems It does tend ridiculous. to give me a rash on the side of my neck, too, if I've been wearing a tie all the time. I get a rash just thinking a, about it. You know, I know. It's terrible. You know, it's terrible. And, and they, you know, I think there are a few things that, having led the unconventional lifestyle that I've chosen, um, that irritate me about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be just a personal association, but I think there may be some justification behind it Mm. uh the idea of we think of like the modern businessman Mm -hmm. you know wearing the tie and getting up at 4 30 and having to be at work Mm -hmm. you know by 7 30 and you know blah 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 and early bird gets the worm and and you're not productive unless you're up early and and Mm -hmm. you're 
you're basically lazy if you're a late riser and a, and a uh, you know a late owl or something. Yeah. And then coming along with that is you must wear your tie, even if you're getting paid diddly squat <clears throat> for what you do, mm-hmm. and nobody else cares except your boss, mm-hmm. your boss hole. Um, why the hell are you wearing the tie? Yeah. It's as if it, it conveys some kind of professionalism to it. And I understand appearance matters. You know, it's an external way people judge you, but why are the, why do we take it to such extremes? Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I, I, I love a nice, comfortable, um, you know, like well-tailored suit that mm-hmm. that's fitted the right way and, mm-hmm. and looks good on you and a nice, um, you know, button down shirt. But that's the extent of it. I mean, I want to wear nice shoes, nice slacks, you know, nice mm-hmm. belt, mm-hmm. Um, the suit and everything. Great. But keep the tie away from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Even though there, you know, admittedly there's some, there's some creativity to colors and patterns and, and things like that, but it, I don't know. I just feel silly. I've got this huge box of ties that I never mm-hmm. wear. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have a bunch of ties and I do wear them because, um, uh, of, right? of work. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a requirement and I, I try to get away without doing it as often as I'm allowed to. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if there's a day where I don't have to wear a tie, like a Friday, you will not see me in a tie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, it's, it's just the one piece of attire on males that I think is, it's the one that really does not serve any purpose at all. Right. Now, somebody might argue, well, yeah, but, you know, it's a sign of status. I'm like, yeah, but it has no functional purpose on your outfit. Yeah, its your function is to get stuck in things. Yeah, yeah. And, and you to know, here's, you to death. here's the other thing. You know, I, I think another reason why I don't like ties is because uh, I'm an acupuncturist. Mm. And what's the one thing you don't want getting in the way when you're putting needles in somebody, right? Is a piece of fabric dangling and touching needles. Right. You know, it just, it's, it's, just, it's a liability, you know? Yeah, it is. Um, but you know, we're, so we're, we're having this discussion. We started this discussion talking about clothing, right? And we started to get into our little pet peeves and we share one, which is ties. Mm-hmm. And this is an episode when we have decided we are just going to pick each other's brains mm-hmm. on whatever topics, Brain whatever, pickings. Yeah, whatever we feel like. And I think we're going to pick some winners tonight. Mm-hmm. I do. I do think we're going to do that. Um, so there is a fund of knowledge and there is a style that you have in the world. And I'm going to ask you questions about these things and vice versa. Yeah. So we're going to do that. So um, now we have established that we don't like ties. Right? We don't like ties. What else? Well, let me ask you this. Um, what is something, what is, it, what is an everyday thing that brings you a lot of joy? An everyday thing. As opposed to like a person, so like a, an everyday yeah, thing. like an everyday something that you do, or um, an everyday object, or just something that's part of a of, of a person's daily life mm. that is something that you take joy in. Well, cooking. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah cooking yeah. is something that that brings me joy. Um, it's it's a little bit about the fact that I enjoy cooking, but it's a lot about the fact that I like sharing. The cooking with someone. Mm-hmm. So if I have somebody yeah. to cook for, that makes all the difference for me. Yeah, uh, I'm willing to go the extra mile. I feel more focused on it. I don't feel like I need to rush it. I mean, if I'm by myself, you know, almost embarrassed to admit it, but like mm-hmm. you know, I'd be happy just sort of sit in front of the 
sink with a bowl of cereal or something. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. just it sounds pathetic, but uh, but I get so much out of sharing. Oh, okay. And and, and yeah. you know, delighting someone else's taste buds. Mm. Yeah, taste delighting someone else's taste buds. Yeah, um, yeah. is is where it's at. Because mm. um, then I get the excitement, the mutual excitement, the shared joy. Mm-hmm. You know, all that. That's a big deal. Now, um, by the way, for for anybody who's never tasted Carlos's cooking, which is a lot of people in the world. <laughs> It's really good. <laughs> this guy can cook. He knows his way around the kitchen. Like seriously, like like everybody who eats your cooking is is going to take a double take the first time they they take a bite. They're gonna go, oh oh wow oh oh my goodness! Like this is this is pretty good. So I'm a little, little funny thing. Now here here is how you know Carlos has been in your kitchen. You look in the sink and there are a bunch of various squeezed citrus fruits that are still in the bottom of the sink. <laughs> this is a beautiful phenomenon. I was looking like, oh, Carlos was here because there's limes and grapefruits and which happened last night That's right. because you and Seamus came and celebrated my birthday That's right. and uh, we had a great time. And we made cocktails. We did. And I saw all these citruses in the sink and I thought, how many times have I seen this? Every time Carlos has been making drinks mm-hmm. and it's just kind of a cool little signature. That is the secret, in my in my opinion, for for making drinks, whether they're alcoholic or non-alcoholic, taste mm-hmm. fabulous. Is just fresh citrus. Yeah, yeah. You, you showed up with grapefruit and everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, grapefruits, limes, lemons, oranges. You know, mm-hmm. um, all that because you really can't substitute that fresh mm-hmm. flavor very well. Even when when you get like a, I don't know. Let's say you got the grapefruit soda that we had. The mm-hmm. Italian grapefruit soda that we mm-hmm. were using, we added some some uh, cucumber lime uh, flavored mm-hmm. vodka mm-hmm. to it, and over ice, and, and we squeezed some fresh citrus in there, and that just makes the the flavors pop, like it, it yeah. awakens your taste buds. And and I notice, like even if I go to a bar and I order a gin tonic, a gin and tonic, um, most people just kind of slavishly make their gin and tonics and then they they shove them in front of you and it's it's really nothing to Mm. scream about Mm -hmm. so i always just no matter where i'm at i always tell them extra lime okay because good idea even if it's a like not top shelf kind of a gin or whatever it is it makes it really stand out and then the strong lime flavor um kind of balances with the uh, gin flavor and it, it just makes it refreshing uh you know, kind of just rolls over your tongue so much better. Mm. Big deal. So, so an everyday thing that you love is cooking. And, love it's, cooking. and, and it's about sharing, mm-hmm. you know, um, bringing joy to the people that, that you're spending time with. Mm-hmm. And your super duper secret is to add lots of citrus to your drinks. Yes. All right, let's cash that in. I, I like that. I like that. That's great. How about you? What brings you joy? Um, sort of like an everyday event that brings me joy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Okay. Uh, there's lots of them, mm. and 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 I would say that that I have probably spent a good portion of my life choosing to actually take joy and pleasure from everyday nonsense kinds of things. Anyway, mm. that's just kind of who I've been, and 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 I'll I'll get to my answer here in a second. But um, I remember being a kid, and somebody would say something a certain way. Or I would see maybe a gardener outside um, sweeping something up and using the dustpan or just any little thing like that. And I would go into this mode where I would watch the person or I would experience what the person just did and I would get this warm glow inside me. 
that would just feel great. And I, this, it's, it's something that has always been to me. It's like a, a part of my quest in life is to figure that out or, or expand that somehow and bring more of that into my experience where I feel this great joy just watching something that seems like nothing. Like I remember one time outside of a college that I was teaching at, I was watching the janitorial staff mm. and there was this, this young um, Hispanic girl who was um, putting a trash bag in a big trash can. Bin liner. Yeah. And I had this feeling of happiness watching her do her work. Hmm. Just the sound of the bag opening and just the way she was putting it in. And I had this little this warm glow in my chest. Like ASMR kind of thing? Um, it's a little different. It's, 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 um, a little, kind of like that, hmm. but it's more of this internal experience of of somebody doing something authentic for them. Hmm. So anyway, it could have, and, and I never, I, I would love to be able to create it, and I've never have been able to do that. It just spontaneously happens, and I never know when it's going to occur, and when it does, I love it. Huh. Right. Cool. But one of the things in my life that is an everyday thing that. I probably get a lot of that same experience from is experiencing animals. Mm -hmm. I love pets. It might be a sparrow. It might be my own pets. You know, um, it might be a little ant crawling like he's lost on a wall. Like, how did you get there? You know what I mean? I, I always take a moment and um, acknowledge the other life forms that are around me. Just appreciate them. And there's something about that that um, has just always given me a lot of joy. It sort of makes life magical you know i could have predicted that i yeah. was thinking that that you'd mentioned that and it makes sense because you're surrounded by them at home i am i am and um, it's great I, when i come over i feel like i want to dive into the pet pool yeah and, and just be <laughs> you know uh, submerged in your petness mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um percy <laughs> um your dog yeah. percy um i was talking about it last night how um, she comes up and, and she wants to get closer Then I'll go for her. And she kind of turns away Yeah, and, a it, little, and it's uh, hilarious because yeah. maybe she's nervous or whatever it is, but uh, it's so cute because she's got that thick, warm body and she's just uh, really squeezable. Yeah, you know, she's she really is. huggable. I just want to like hang out with her and cuddle, you know, uh -huh. cause she's oh, just, yeah. she's just like this big, thick, warm, oh, they just, you know, they, they, sweet thing, you know, they just make life. It's sort of like life is a very interesting, nicely baked cake. But they are the icing and all the extra things that go on the cake, you know, just, just animals. And uh, I've always loved that. Remember, I was in China and I was with a friend who doesn't dislike animals, but is not an animal lover like me. Mm -hmm. And her and I had decided to go down this little side alley and get away from like the main place that we were at where all the tourists are. And like we went into this little alley in China and she said, she, she saw something and she knew I was going to like it. So she had to point it out. She goes... And I turn and there's this, somebody had this big cardboard box lid filled with baby chickens, baby <laughs> chicks. Wow. And all these little school children were standing around the little baby chickens yeah. and me, me and a bunch of school kids. And I just wow. went, oh, and I stuck my hands into the box and I just picked up a bunch of baby chicks and I was just like, oh, you know, <laughs> and they were jumping off my hands and I had one. And I remember she got a picture of me holding a baby chick. Wow. You know, that's cool. I'm sure they all got eaten, but you know, sure. but still. You know, that's, that's funny. So here's, here's my next question for you then. Mm. Speaking of little chickens getting eaten. Um, 
this is a probably a heavier topic. Okay. Um, I think most people would agree that there is a time when it's appropriate to take a life. There's a time when it's appropriate to kill. Um, yet oftentimes it's very inappropriate to take a life. And I want to, um, get your own thoughts and experiences around this topic of how does a person know, um, when it is acceptable to take a life and when it isn't. I really like the way you put it. I don't even know if that was episode, what episode that was really early on mm. the whole idea of protecting proximal life. Mm, yeah. That to me okay. fits perfectly into the martial traditions and mm. the Buddhist traditions that we were raised yeah, with, yeah, with Kung yeah, Fu. Totally. Um, I just think that's really the key. It, it's relative. So, um, we live relative to everything else around us. So there has to be a relative answer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not always this, the same. Um, obviously if someone intruded in my house, I would try my best not to have to kill them. But, mm -hmm. but if I felt that my life were truly in danger, um, Basically, it's them before me mm -hmm. uh, because that's proximal to me. Yeah, and my life is proximal to me, and it's the same if, if I were at a friend's place or or yeah. anyone else that I cared yeah. about. Um, that person who's under my care, mm -hmm. um, they come first. So there's yeah. a hierarchy to it. It's not that I uh, ultimately would wish that person who came in and intruded. Uh, I wouldn't want to wish them unwell, but if it's required in order to survive or to have the people that I care about survive, then mm. sad as it is, I would just have to choose yeah. to end their life. Um, I think it, it gets, it gets strange, you know, like we, we raised with, um, movies, you know, mm. spy movies and, you know, stories of assassins and things yeah. like that. You know, people yeah. are getting paid to do that. And you could, you could get in your head and try to justify yourself that, everybody's done this question, right? You know, if you could go back in time and you could kill Adolf Hitler, would you do it? You know? Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting question, but it, it is. Yeah. It's, we don't have that ability. So it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's uh what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's like asking yourself how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. You know, it's, yeah. it's really not that useful really mm -hmm. at the end of the day. But, but if you, you could also do the same thing with current people, you could say, all right, um, well, if you could figure out who was behind Al Qaeda mm -hmm. or who was behind, um, you know, some massacre yeah. that's happening somewhere in, right, in some part right. of the world, you know, you could just take them out. Mm -hmm. And that's where it gets a little bit gray. Um, I think when, when we talk about it like that, we're starting to get into the proximal life thing. Yeah, the life that's closest to you yeah. is the one that you have the duty to And one preserve. of them that might be close to you would be one that you can philosophically uh, support. Like mm -hmm. if there's a, a group of school kids, philosophically yeah. within my philosophy, my, my value system, mm -hmm. uh, they have the right to exist and to be freely living and breathing and taking up space and, and unmolested. Mm -hmm. in every way that yeah. that word means, right? Yeah. So if if there's a person that's um, overstepping the boundary, if they're crossing the line and they're, they're asserting themselves in a way that's violent mm -hmm. in any way, shape, or form, to the group that has the inability to defend themselves, 
they've become fair game in a way, mm-hmm. in, in my philosophy. Yeah. I don't like the idea of killing them, but if, if I were in a position where um, that were the only choice and I couldn't get help, I couldn't, then I certainly would. I mean, if I was yeah. literally sitting behind a scoped telescope and I knew for a fact that I wouldn't be able to get any help yeah. and I had the capacity to pull that trigger mm-hmm. safely and mm-hmm. keep those kids safe, um, I would probably do it. Yeah, but it doesn't mean I would feel good. It doesn't mean that I would feel mm-hmm. uh, that that it was easy to do. Yeah, sure. Uh, I would sure. probably have a lot of digesting the the difficulty of taking another person's life. That would mm-hmm. be um, a, a difficult thing to swallow. But right. I guess I would be willing to swallow that poison for the benefit mm-hmm. of those yeah. who yeah. were benefiting from it. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, that's that's great. I, I like I like the way you answered that. Um, because there 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 is a time, you know, like for example, um, if a person, wh- wh- whether a person takes the life of an animal in order in order to eat, or mm-hmm. takes the life of a plant in order to eat, mm-hmm. um, still uh, that thing does have the signs of life. Mm-hmm. According to you know biology, how biology might might define life, yeah. and um, we are maybe even consciousness, maybe even consciousness, according and, to the research these days. Yeah, yeah, and and we have to make a choice to end um, that life form, at least in the way that it existed, right? In order to preserve our own life, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, then it seems to me that there should also be some other rules too, like um, if if you realize that in order to protect your own proximal life, like eating a meal or saving your children from a wolf, okay, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's the same thing. It's just a matter of degree, you know, and, and acuteness, you know, um, if we are to end a life in order to preserve our own or life that's close to us, then it seems that we also have the duty of, um, not creating suffering. So like there's life and then there's the experience mm-hmm. of dying, you know? And it seems to me that, uh, there is an important duty to, um, you know, mitigate suffering, which I know that, that anybody would, most people would say that most mm-hmm. people would say, yeah, if you're going to slaughter a cow, do it as humanely as you can. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I would often, you know, I grew up a vegetarian and so I had a lot of, a lot of ideas about this. Um, but they weren't necessarily my ideas. They were ideas that were imported into my into my brain. And if you really look at life, um, life has chosen to allow life to end other lives in order to continue. This is a fact, yeah. at least in this particular it's world that we life. live. Yeah, I'm getting very Lion King on me right now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and um, uh, it is often, at least from the human perspective, it is often not kind. Mm-hmm. You know, um, things getting ripped apart and, you yeah. know, injected with venoms and, you know, all, all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, so it makes me wonder if we perceive ourselves as beings that are evolving more. I mean, whatever, whatever this is, the idea from the, the book Shantaram of mm. um, moving towards an ultimate complexity, right? That, that at least we can agree on that, that the universe is moving towards some kind of ultimate complexity. Um, we are pretty complex as far as creatures are on earth. Mm-hmm. So with this idea, seems 
appropriate that we would then have the next level of authority and responsibility to try to relieve as much suffering as we can, mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah, it, it's a balance. I mean, we're the apex predators as well. Yeah. And that is, that's kind of heavy, you know. <laughs> it's a big responsibility. It is. Yeah. We were talking about uh, polar bears uh, last night. Yeah. And, and they are apex predators as well. Mm -hmm. But we are even more dangerous than the polar bears. Oh, yeah. You know, there really isn't anything more dangerous than us. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, isn't. you could argue that mosquitoes are, but sure, because they yeah. carry disease and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. but you know, I mean, but they we, can't plan worth worth a darn. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, there'd yeah. be difficulty with that. Yeah, they can't get um, organized. No. Have you seen them? They swarm. They don't even. They don't even. You know. Flying in, in single file, it's exactly, and they probably don't match their socks with their underwear. Oh, though. definitely, they don't even wear underwear. Yeah. You know, yeah, so, savages. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, so it's it's a responsibility. I mean, we have this um, ability to have compassion. I don't know. I was thinking about this a lot over the last week. I don't know that any other animal has a capacity for compassion. Mm -hmm. I think other animals have the capacity for empathy, no doubt. Mm -hmm. I think dogs, cats monkeys, you know, elephants, yeah. and they have mm -hmm. intelligence for sure. Mm -hmm. And consciousness and theory of mind and things yeah. like that. I don't yeah. know that they have compassion though, at least not as I understand yeah. compassion. Compassion seems to involve yeah. needing to have a really in-depth and layered understanding about how things work. Mm -hmm. I don't really see that that's the case with, mm -hmm. even when you see incredible examples of, of animals having um, an understanding of some kind, it's never really quite to the level of complexity that I think compassion would require. I don't know. What do you think yeah. about that? Um, yeah. Um, certainly there are lots of videos of animals in nature uh, engaging in acts that appear like compassion or at least empathy, you yeah. know, like you were think, saying. You yeah, know. more empathy. Yeah. Care, um, love. I think they feel love. Yeah. Like, like some, yeah, they definitely feel love. I know. I mean, just me being an animal lover, I yeah. know that my pets love me and I love them. Yeah. You know, they're if, bonded. They care. They would feel distressed if you're not feeling well. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Confused, distressed. They might try yeah. to do something for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, they love me and they want they me to be worried. happy. Yeah. They get anxious. Uh, I've know, seen them be worried about me. I've yeah. seen them recognize that I was upset and they took it upon themselves to cheer me up. And it mm -hmm. took me a while to realize that that's what they were trying to do. Yep. That's happened many, many times. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, to, to get into your question, like, well, what do, I, what, do, what do I think about animals having compassion or not? Yeah, I think compassion, compassion uh, requires um, more steps in the, in the thinking process, you know? Yeah, like I was just thinking, you know, Self-sacrifice. Well, animals will sacrifice themselves, but it seems that there are other reasons why they might be doing that than compassion. Like yeah, the instinct, like they're not necessarily thinking of what the next piece will be after they lunge to get the person and they end up dying. Yeah. They may not necessarily have an idea that they're going to die necessarily. They're, they're just seeing an intruder and going for it. Right. You know, yeah, because they, they realize that they care about the results, but they don't necessarily know what the results will be. Right. A uh, human is very yes. good at predicting results. And so we know that if we yeah. lunge at a person with a knife that we could die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not about yeah. territorialism for us. It's about a decision. 
Correct. Some of us, you know, will cripple in fear and become like, mm-hmm. you know, shriveled into a little ball and do whatever they say and try mm-hmm. to run away. And some will just become very aggressive. Um, and some will make a choice to be brave and mm-hmm. just try to stay alive knowing that they might not and yeah. probably won't be. Yeah. Yeah. But because they care, they, they, they can't, they, they've decided that they cannot live with themselves having done nothing. Right. Yeah. And we love stories like that. So many movies are like that where, you know, the, the captain of the spacecraft sacrifices himself for the good of the earth, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and we all find nobility in that. The you needs know? of the many outweigh yeah. the needs of the few exactly. or the one. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Was that Star Trek three or two or something like that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Spock. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's yeah, great. It's funny. I remember crying during that scene, by the way, when he's in the, he's in the nuclear reactor after saving uh-huh. the, the enterprise and, oh, you know, he's yeah. putting his hands on the glass. He's like, Jim, you know, and he's uh-huh. dying. He puts his hands on yeah. the, on the glass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but for him, it wasn't compassion. It was logic. It was yes. just total logic. It was a logical choice. Logic captain. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know what's funny? Um, that's interesting that you put it that way because I think that compassion is logical. Yeah, I do too. And so I, I feel that what Spock was, was, was he was really attempting to be compassionate rather than empathetic. Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah, I, I see what you mean with that. It wasn't just, like I, like, I think people try to paint the picture of Spock as cold. Mm-hmm. Especially because bones, right? Yeah, uh, the doctor, yeah. the ship's doctor. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I, Spock, you, <laughs> you, you, green-skinned, blue-blooded, yeah, pointy-eared hobgoblin. You know, he would say yeah, things I like that. To him. He would just he super emotional. Yeah, yeah, super emotional. But yeah. um, and he definitely represents the heart of the show, and and mm-hmm. um, you know, Spock represents the mind of the show, probably. Yeah. But but there's totally. there's, yeah. I see him as much more layered than that, like. I do too. You know, not too. only because he's half human, but yeah. but also because I think that the intention uh, we're we're getting all geeky with this Star Trek stuff right now, but mm-hmm. in Vulcan tradition according to the the storyline, uh-huh. uh they were extremely passionate and they had to oh, that's right. it almost destroyed them as a as a culture, as a race of beings. Yeah. Totally. And so they learned the methods of training their mind and harnessing their philosophy mm-hmm. became stoic basically. Yeah, uh, very much like the the Stoics, kind of modeled after that idea. So they refine themselves to not allow their passions to destroy them, mm-hmm. and so they have great capacity to feel, even greater than humans in some ways. And it, it wasn't until that that um, philo- that great philosopher on Vulcan that kind of transformed the planet into um, more of an ordered yes. orderly place. Yeah, and they had all these complex rituals and things to develop their mind and things because totally. they wanted to balance out. The great passions that they had so it yeah it, it's a lot more layered than people realize yeah it's like it's like the vulcans had two left brains you know <laughs> but there's still that hint of a right brain deep inside there you know yeah. um I, i've always looked at um the uh relationship between spock bones and kirk as as being um well like bones is is the id and spock is the super ego and Kirk was the ego in between, balancing the the id and the super ego. You know, it's just kind of a kind of a fun little. Yeah. I at like least it. I did that in my own mind when I, I like watching it. the episodes. You know.
been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Please subscribe to The Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts, connect with us on social media, and you can find our website at authenticityshow.com. Thank you for listening and have an authentic day.